Today on The Conversation with Dr. Scott Camp. Especially in the Bible Belt, if you're going to be a responsible, productive member in society, there are some things you need to do, and do them in this order. Get your family going, and, and maybe join a good civic organization. Be a member in your community, and be involved, and join a church. Really, remember what church, just join a church. That was kind of the culturally expected thing to do, especially like you said in the South. Uh, well, that day's totally gone. There are no standards. It's what does Scott feel like he needs to do? What does Lane feel like he needs to do? And off we go. Welcome to The Conversation with Dr. Scott Camp. Dr. Camp has survived a life of drug and alcohol abuse and incarceration. Since giving his life to Christ, he has been a pastor, evangelist, author, college professor, and dean of students. He has also been a program guest with the Billy Graham Crusade. Dr. Camp's unique blend of life experiences have given him a powerful, relevant ministry to reach the unreachable with the message of Christ. Now, let's listen as Dr. Camp starts the conversation with today's guest, Director of the Northwest Louisiana Baptist Association of Caddo and Bossier, Lane Moore. Good morning. You're listening to The Conversation. This is Scott Camp. Thank you for joining me today. My in-studio guest is Lane Moore, and Lane is the director of the Northwest Louisiana Baptist Association, and there are 140 Southern Baptist churches and missions that you work with. Right. All throughout Caddo and Bossier Parish. So that the kingdom of God can go forward. Right. Amen. It's what a wonderful thing. Yeah. Lane, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, Freeport's home for me. Uh, grew up here. Uh, one of the few that can say we're uh, ministering and serving in the same backyard that we grew up in, which is not common when you talk to a pastor. They are usually not from that area where they're uh, shepherding a church, and uh, but uh, served uh, before I came to the association office. Been there now in my 14th year. Uh, before I uh, arrived there, was uh, served two local churches, one in Freeport, one in Bossier, uh, for 20 years prior to that. So I've uh, been doing ministry here back in the Freeport area for almost 35 you years. have a now. real heart for this area. Right. This area's home. Did you grow up in church, Lane? Yes, yes. Your mom and dad loved the Lord? Yes, absolutely. Uh, an old Queensboro Baptist oh, church yeah. boy. historic. Yes, yes. Willow Point. Which is now, now Willow I've Point now. there many, yes. many times yes. through the years. Yes. So you came to know the Lord as a as a child, right? Eleven year old, eleven year old boy. Uh, w. T. Fur was pastor in the in the '60s, and uh, that was when uh, I gave my heart to the Lord, and uh, remember that uh, day well. And uh, it's been a wonderful, wonderful, blessed uh, ride of uh, journey with the Lord. And those were great days yeah, yeah. for uh, what God was doing through the Southern Baptist mm -hmm. Convention, right? Uh, churches were growing, experiencing uh, dynamic uh, growth in terms of evangelism. There yes. was a real focus on evangelism, bringing right. people to Christ. Right. When did you begin to feel that God was calling you into the ministry, uh, Brother Lane? Well, uh, it, that was on into my adult years. Uh, I was uh, finished up at college, and uh, as I was in school, began to do some part-time work at one of the TV stations in Monroe. Uh, kind of got the television bug, if you will, and uh, wrote commercials, did programming, did sales, did a little bit of everything. Came back to Shreveport, worked in uh, sales and advertising for several years. So you were a layman in the yes, church. Yes, Did you stay yes. close to the Lord through college? Yeah, not as close as I wished I would have. Looking back on that, uh, you know, never really deeply discipled. Uh, you know, you were a, you were a moral person, and I think that sometimes is. 
what we see today uh, that's a, a struggle for some of our churches is is folks are, are morally okay and think they're okay with the Lord. They believe in God. Right, they believe right, the Bible. Right, they right. believe the gospel. You can sure look at a, a, a hundred other people that are out in the world and say, well, I know I'm not like them, so I must be okay with God. And uh, uh, realizing through that that uh, I was not where I needed to be, began to draw back closer to the Lord, began to help several churches in their advertising and things like that. How, and, how did that awakening happen? Was was there a crisis in your life, or did nope, you just nope. begin to think, man, I, I really need to live my faith? I began to spend closer time with pastors and men of God, and I began to see wow. a walk with them that I knew, wait a minute, I thought I was okay, but I'm not where I need to be because I see it, it was like I thought I had a standard. But when I saw where the standard really was, I, I realized that I'd been fooled. And I think that's where we've got millions of folks today, that they have created, if you will, a standard for what they're looking at in, 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 in 360 degrees around them. And, and you think you're okay and fine. And I think we sometimes fool ourselves. We, we like to say the Holy Spirit gives us assurance in our walk, and obviously He does. But I think uh, the evil one can give assurances, too, that you're okay. You don't need to go to that you're church. You're almost you apathetic and yeah, you yeah, slumber. Yeah. You, exactly, yeah. exactly. Just kind of uh, We just kind of ooze over into complacency. And I think Satan's completely happy with us. If we live over in the complacent world, we're not going to do any damage to his kingdom. Yeah, you're on the team, but you're kind of yeah, on the bench. Exactly, exactly. So uh, during that time, uh, began to get closer and closer to uh, some of God's shepherds and uh, began to realize uh, this is something that I need to move back closer toward, began to get more and more involved in church life. Uh, there was no uh, Damascus Road experience. There was no. Hey, I, I, I'm, I'm sensing the Lord is is is. You know, you, I hear these stories of guys. Well, you know, I lost my house, lost my job, lost this, and okay, Lord, I'm finally going to surrender to you. I, I, there was none of that going on. It well, was, it, it might have been the next step if you hadn't listened. Well, true, true. Who were some of those men that shaped your life? Uh, probably one of the ones that was the closest was probably Evangelist Mike Gilchrist. Oh, I knew him well. Yeah, yeah. He, Matter of fact, his son and I are great friends yes. and we talked last week he's yep. over in the Dallas Fort Worth area yep. you know Lane Mike had a great impact on my life mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. especially his message which was really the deeper life Christian message right. Right. he had a message called heaven on earth I'm mm -hmm. sure you remember mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. and I remember going and visiting he had a little office uh, yep. in a house yep. 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 and uh, he would spend time with me as a young preacher right we have that in common yes. he was a great great man yeah. of God a good uh, I helped him in his administration aspect would help him get some things organized as he would get ready to do a new meeting at another uh, time down the down on, down on the calendar and, and I would help getting some materials together and do some pre preparation work for him and I, he just kind of modeled for me what a good and of course that's 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 your calling as, a, as an evangelist as well but but just how to be professional at what you do how to be uh, have have integrity cred credibility which we all know we've unfortunately watched uh, some high-profile people over the last several decades uh, and when those men fall we all get a little it, bit of a black eye. A ripple yeah yeah and so uh, just a, uh, a great solid uh, mile marker you could say hey I'm gonna use this as a standard and uh, things I'll still quote in messages today that I had heard him say uh, 30 or 40 years ago 
And, of course, Mike was uh, related to Manly Beasley, who was another great man of faith, really carried the faith message to Southern Baptist people, living by faith. Right, right. So the Lord uh, allowed you to rub souls with Mm -hmm. some great men of God, and that you you almost caught fire. Yes, yes, and just began. Really, it was was one of those absolutely crystal clear, logical decisions. Uh, I know this chapter of my life was beginning to close, and a new chapter was beginning to open. Uh, Were you married at the time? uh, Had just gotten married. Uh, We went on staff at uh, Summer Grove Baptist Church uh, in the mid-80s and uh, began to rub shoulders with more great men and uh, began to really uh, hone my staff skills. And we had a larger, larger staff with some great days at Summer Grove in the 80s. Those were great days. I used uh, to preach their youth camps. Yes, yes. And uh, so uh, it was a series of things. It was never a, uh, uh, which I guess ministry obviously is, you you never wake up one day, okay, I think I know everything now. It's a a constant uh, journey that you're on and God puts people in your path. And you look back and you go, oh, so that's why he was in my life at that particular time. Was your wife supportive when you uh, uh, made this transition from the business world into the ministry? And and I do meet with many pastors that are called in ministry later in life. And sometimes that can be an issue because she's thinking, well, wait a minute now, this is not what I signed up for. I didn't marry a preacher. Uh, Exactly, exactly. And uh, unfortunately, in, in, in working with over 100 Southern Baptist churches, I do get calls uh, from certain folks in church and say, uh, Brother Lane, we love our youth pastor. We love our music minister. We, but is there anything we can do about his wife? Yeah. <laughs> so, so Well, it's so important because yeah, you function as one. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, of course, my wife uh, grew up in the church. I grew up in a bar, and she grew up uh, right, right. in a Baptist uh, pastor's home. Hmm. And she knew what she was getting into. And it still hasn't been always an easy ride for our wives. I think that's something that sometimes we neglect and overlook is the role of the pastor's wife. And I see a lot of that, Scott, that that is created is they may not have a a lady mentor to help them in those early years. So it's still adds of what you don't know, you don't know. And if they're not really sure what what being a, a, a shepherd's wife is or if my my husband is in ministry. Uh, what role do I take on? And, and it's more of a, uh, you know, much of what we are and wh- who we are today is from modeling that we watched other uh, people. It's not something we necessarily read in a book or went to a class. It's, it's uh, hopefully we had some godly teachers ahead of us that were showing us some of those things. And, and these are some do's and don'ts. And, and if you go down this road, let me tell you what kind of headache you're going to have if you do that. So uh, some are some are greatly blessed to have some wonderful role, role models, and uh, some have to kind of learn it by trial and error. So at some point, the Lord uh, transitioned you from being at local churches yes. to helping local churches right. in, in right. an oversight kind of role. Right. How did that happen? Well, I sure didn't go looking for it. There is no uh, there is no association school you go to. There's no director school you go to. Uh, it is a uh, it's one of the few things in ministry uh, that that really there's no educational route from it. Uh, it is just strictly do you have a giftedness that has a bent toward 
this type of service and uh, and really do you understand pastors and love pastors sure sure and and, and not just that but you have to be uh, a diplomat uh, because you're dealing you have to be a mediator many times between the church and the pastor or uh, help them walk through a uh, choppy uh, bit of water uh, so you you've got to be knowledgeable on all sides and i think the fact that i have been on the pew and also in the pulpit uh, has helped. I, I, I can sit down and talk with some laymen and go, I've been right where you are. Uh, I've been on those committees and I've done this. And, and then I've also been in the staff side. So uh, it, it, it does it does help. If And, I, and the fact that this area is home for, for, for me, I know much of the history of many of these churches, just like we were talking about earlier, uh, the Queensboro to the Willow Point. Well, well, you're really dating yourself because now you're talking about over 40, 40 years ago. Yeah. And if you were a new person to this area, you wouldn't have any clue of that. And so if you're in a conversation with certain people at certain churches and they say, remember back 1975, Brother Lane, when we and I can say, yes, sir, I sure do. Uh, that immediately brings credibility to that conversation uh, because they know you're kind of one of the boys now. Now, the position that you're in, uh, for many of our listeners, uh, Southern Baptist life is is structured, but there's no connectionalism. There, right. It's not like a an Episcopal kind of form of government. Right. So uh, someone might jokingly refer to you as a bishop oh, yeah. or something like that, but but in actuality, uh, you were voted on by the association. Right. The Someone recommended you. Right, you right. were interviewed. Right. Yeah. So obviously, Southern Baptist Life, we believe in the autonomy of the local church. Uh, we don't have a hierarchical uh, process where uh, if you've got a problem, you, you, you call a, uh, a bishop or a cardinal or whatever. Uh, although there are times that you're tempted to want to take that hat on and say, if I can just do this and this and then resign an hour later, <laughs> I would have that problem fixed. Or, or I get calls of people thinking I have the authority and the ability to do to that. To remove a pastor or, or, or to make a decision. Just make some change. Right. Make some change. Uh, but everything's really voluntary. Exactly. Uh, you have, I walk into a situation, all I have is my credibility, my integrity, hopefully the trust. I make recommendations, give counsel, and then I walk out the door. And, and they have to pray about it. Exactly. It's their we call. believe in the priesthood of the believer. Yeah. So they have to pray about it as yeah. a church right. family. Right. right. And then try to hear from the Lord and make a good decision. Right. Yeah, it's uh, because you have no authority. Uh, everything you do is is based on the trust and the credibility that you have. So that's why, of all things that we have, as especially in the role I have, I have to guard that immensely. So uh, what what is the need? Um, you know, if you look at church history, uh, there's almost a process that denominations or fellowships of churches, sometimes we don't want to use the word denomination, but it's it's still a viable word. And there are historical processes, it seems like, that uh, whether the Methodist or the Presbyterians or the Baptist seem to go through. And sometimes those processes, like the aging process, uh, can lead to a period of decline. Mm -hmm. It seems like from every indicator uh, that have come out of Lifeway Research uh, that Southern Baptists have been in a period of decline in terms of numerical strength, mm -hmm. even financial strength. There have been some cutbacks in missions, mm -hmm. seminary attendance is low. 
Lane, does that bother you? I know it does. That's a rhetorical question. But where are we at and what can we do? Well, you're exactly right, Scott. We have watched now for a couple of decades uh, decline in baptisms. Uh, that is not limited strictly to uh, Southern Baptists. Every mainline denomination, Protestant denomination, Catholic Church obviously is going through its own huge uh, issues right now. Uh, but we are seeing from a cultural standpoint a, a stepping away from uh, or organized religion as sometimes it is referred to, which I hate that term. Uh, but Lane, do you see that in inst with institutions across the board? Yes. Oh, yes. In general. Oh, absolutely. That I mean, is, this last civic organizations, everything is on a decline. You know, political. Yes. Uh, you know, the rise of uh, independent exactly. voters. Right. So you it's not that um, people don't want to have a label put on them of I'm this or I'm that. So if be, I could because be, some churches are doing very well, but they don't openly associate right, themselves right. with a particular denomination. Right. Do you think that that's maybe because of some mistakes that we've made in the yes, past you know. that have been very high profile? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes, uh, you know, some Baptists are known more for what they're against than what they're for. Sure. Sure. And that can become a problem of perception uh, on people who might opt to never visit a Baptist church right. just because of that. These are things you have to deal with. Right. Well, and you're exactly right. Just the there, there was a time we, we referred back to those uh, sometimes jokingly called them the glory days of the 50s and 60s. And Southern Baptists had the million more in 54 and all those wonderful this slogans. Very powerful. Yeah. And, and and there was a day where all you had to do was hang the shingle out front and they would come. If you build it, they will come. That day is gone. Uh, you can build the most wonderful edifice you work you, in, that you can find in the world and say, we want you to come in here and worship. But they're not going to come unless there's some kind of a relationship, some kind of a connection that, uh, Scott, I want you to go with me next Thursday night to this meeting, or I want you to come to so-and-so's house. We're going to be discussing some really crucial things in, in, in all of our lives. And that's, that's where we're seeing that now. I remember talking to my dad. He's been gone over 20 years now. When he finished up World War II, he said, "He said, son, what 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 we were told to do? If we're going to be a responsible, good citizen, uh, we go back home, get a job, you get a wife, uh, you buy a house, maybe join a civic organization, join a church, and you will be an upstanding citizen." Those are those little checklist things, and and I think church was just on the checklist, especially for, in the South, especially in the Bible Belt. Yes, yes. If you're going to be a responsible, productive member in society, there are some things you need to do, and do them in this order, and uh, get your family going, and, and maybe join a, a you know a good civic org organization, be a member in your community, and be in, be involved, and join a church. Really, matter what church, just join a church. That was kind of the culturally expected thing to do, especially like you said in the South. Uh, well, that day's totally gone. Uh, there, there are no standards. It's what, what, what does Scott feel like he needs to do? What does Lane feel like he needs to do? And off we go. So in that sense, we're living in a kind of post-Christian yes, yes, era, which now, you know, I'm an evangelist. Yes. And by the way, I want to say that uh, uh, one of your, your uh, colleague at the uh, association in Gina, I just closed a four-day meeting in mm. Gina, Louisiana. And we saw hundreds of people yes. come to Christ. And it reminded me of the power of Baptist churches. Mm -hmm. And of course, these were all yep. churches, all yep. evangelicals yep. Coming, coming together, together. Right. to present the gospel mm -hmm. in a neutral venue right. 
where maybe there's no there's no sign that says Assemblies of God or Baptist or Methodist. It's just the high school gym mm. and people brought their right. lost friends, their right. classmates, their co-workers, and they did a wonderful, wonderful job there. So mm-hmm. what a viable ministry right. To, right. To, to coordinate kingdom activities for outreach. But what it means is, in terms of evangelism, lost people maybe are more readily identifiable today than yes. they were in the 50s and 60s. Absolutely. Uh, we have a clearer sense now, hey, man, uh, you either know the Lord or you just don't. Right. I mean, cultural Christianity, even in the South, is right. waning. Yes. So in a, in a way, uh, Lane, this, these are exciting times. Yes. There's yes. a great opportunity. There ain't no shortage on sinners. <laughs> no. No, never will be. We just got to reach them. Yeah, uh, that that remembers. I remember Mike Gilchrist saying something in a message thirty five years ago. He, he, he said, "I used to believe there was a uh, small pocket of of, of Bible believing Christians going with the Lord. There was a small group of folks who just hated the Lord, hated church, hated God, and there was this big kind of gray area here in the middle, kind of the mushy middle that could kind of that kind of could ebb and flow to different directions. And sometimes they were here, sometimes they were there, sometimes they'd be in church, sometimes they wouldn't. He said, "Now I'm seeing that middle group is shrinking radically, and you got a group that's going with the Lord and a." Big group that said, I'm out of here. I've checked out. I don't want anything to do with the Lord. I don't want anything to do with church. And that center group that we thought was kind of the independents are really much smaller than we thought. People are making a decision, like you said. They're choosing what side to be on. Is it God's side or the world's side? But, you know, Jesus said something about that. He said, look, uh, I'd rather have you hot or cold. Exactly. Make a decision. So the lukewarm uh, thing is out now, I think. It's getting there. And people are either... Hot or cold, right? And for me as an evangelist, and I know your heart is uh, is f- to see people yep. come to Christ. Right. Lane, what can we do? How as you work with these churches and strategize, what are you seeing that's successful in some of the churches that are reaching people here in the area? Well, I, I know think, Simple Church has done a great job, and right. I think they're yeah. uh, many still of the churches, associated with the Baptists. Many, many, uh, yeah, I know. I know the pastor came out of a Southern Baptist church. Obviously, I think they are choosing to be non-denominational. That's kind of where they've landed, and that's and that's fine. Uh, we're seeing uh, more folks needing to get out of the church walls. Uh, you know, there was that time when we said, if you build it, they will they will come, and and in they flocked. You could put a revival sign up and just. And just watch them, watch, watch folk come, because that was kind of what you were supposed to do was to come to the revival. Well, now folks drive by the church all day long and never a thought of, I wonder if there's anything going on inside those that that uh, building that might have some value to me. So there, there's always that 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 need to move the church outside the church walls. And I think the churches that are really being successful are are, are doing just that. They're they're being hands and feet outside. We're seeing uh, the disaster relief ministry that North American Mission Board is doing. Unfortunately, when a tragedy has happened somewhere in the country, they're going to be on the front lines to say, we are here to serve you. And they go, why are you doing this? Because... Christ has commanded us to do this. And so it's giving opportunities to not necessarily have them walk in the church doors, but I can do a homeless shelter. I can do this kind of ministry. I can do another kind of ministry. I can do disaster relief. I can do things that will bring the gospel of Christ to them into their lives 
where they're living right then in that moment. And then I've now earned the right to say, hey, why don't you come go with me next week? Because now you've built a relationship with them. And and I mean, I could give you testimony of testimony of wonderful tragedies that have occurred of tornadoes, hurricanes, floods that have happened somewhere in the United States. And Southern Baptists are right there on the front front lines. I remember just seeing a, a couple of weeks ago when Trump went to North Carolina, who was all back in the background behind him while he was handing out some food was all the yellow shirt Southern Baptist of North Carolina right there giving the food to him to let him give that away. So Southern Baptists are, are there. Um, one of the best kept secrets in, in, in Southern Baptist life is is is, is uh, Send Relief, uh, the ministry of the North American Mission Board, is the third largest disaster relief organization in the world behind Red Cross and Salvation Army. Nobody knows that. But uh, Southern Baptists have got a arrangement with the Red Cross now. You be the first on the scene. You kind of get everything stationary the best you can. We'll come behind you with food and all the other things that need to go on. And so rather than competing against each other, we're working with each other to say, uh, let's, uh, nobody, nobody cooks food like Southern Baptists cook, cook food. So you guys take care of that, and you get everything else, and we'll be the first on the scene, get it all stable, and then you guys come right, right behind us. That's one of the best-kept secrets around, but it's meeting needs. Lane, in the past, I think that many evangelicals, including Southern Baptists, have been afraid to uh, be accused of uh, advocating a kind of social gospel. Yeah. Uh, this was a mistake. Carl F.H. Henry wrote about this in the, as late in the 40s. He wrote mm -hmm. a book called The Uneasy Conscious of Fundamentalism, and he showed this false dichotomy between doing the kinds of things that you're talking about, meeting practical needs and the proclamation of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And for too long, I think uh, there's been a wedge between those things. Maybe God is using this unique period in mm -hmm. history to uh, reawaken the need of right. churches to get involved in meeting tangible physical needs. Right. That's part of the gospel. Jesus said, if you did it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Yeah. Now, if I give you a cup of cold water, Scott, because you need it and then walk out the door, I think that's... That's think, not the gospel. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's where some have accused uh, those who have gone down that road. Mainline denomination. Exactly. As you're, you're, you're stopping too soon. You can't just give the cup of cold water and then say, I'm walking out the door. I'll but leave it, that to somebody. But if you give a gospel tract exactly, to somebody exactly. who's thirsty yes. and don't give them any water, it might be hard for them to really receive what you're trying That's to right. say. I, I, by, 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 by my gift to you of some physical need, I'm now earning the right for you to uh, give me, or at uh, least opening the door. Sure, sure. I don't know if we have to earn the right, but at least a door can be right, opened. Right, right, right. There's a connection there now. Pastors are hurting nowadays, yeah. uh, Brother Lane. We read these uh, statistics about uh, terminations and uh, preachers that are being literally uh, run off from yep. churches. Deal with it all the time. Baptists have always struggled with this because of the polity, mm -hmm. uh, the democratic polity. How can we help these guys? You know, a lot of them are really great men. Mm -hmm. Pastors are not perfect. They make mistakes, yeah. errors in judgment. They make mistakes in leadership. But, you know, they're still God's men. Yep. Yep. What, what are we doing to help them? Well, uh, there are many resources out there today. Uh, we try to, along with Louisiana Baptist Convention, try to give them some avenues to love on them, uh, give them some time time away. I'll encourage a, 
uh, a group of laymen in the church. I say, hey, won't you let your pastor take off a couple of couple of weeks? Uh, we'll get somebody to come fill in for them, give them a little downtime. There's some great places here in the Arklatex that uh, will let pastors come free of charge and have, have a little down downtime. Uh, some some sometimes it, it you know the pastor has. Uh, uh, just kind of burned a few bridges, and maybe uh, maybe it's it's time to move on. Uh, that's where I come in. Uh, let me help you find the next place God has for you. Uh, that that's where diplomacy steps in because now you've got, unfortunately, uh, when 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 a little water, too much water goes under that bridge, you you do have a little bit of a chasm there, and so if that can't be rectified, then maybe. Maybe for all parties involved, maybe just a, a clean start some someplace else is, is what's best for the pastor and his family and for the church to move uh, forward. So there comes a time when uh, it, it is best to maybe just kind of wind some things down. But that's the last resort. Let's make this work. God's put you here. Let's let's do all we can uh, where sometimes mediation comes comes into play. Uh, there may be a simple fix that we've just been missing that we can can look uh, to and uh, things will improve. Lane, thank you for being my guest today. Thank you for loving the Lord, loving pastors, loving churches, and for all that you do. And by the way, I'll be with uh, our mutual friend, David Hankins. I'll Ah, be in Alexandria uh, preaching there in the Civic Center with all the Baptist churches and evangelical churches next month in Alexandria. And I'll be sure and tell him that you said hi and that we met. Good. And uh, thank you. Thank you, Scott. God bless you. You've been listening to The Conversation. This is Scott Camp. My guest today has been Lane Moore, who is the director of the Northwest Louisiana Baptist Association here in Caddo Bozier Parish. And pray for him. Pray uh, for 140 Southern Baptist churches in this area that God would pour out his spirit and that they would be effective and fruitful in reaching people with the gospel. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Tune in again tomorrow and we'll talk. You have been listening to The Conversation with Dr. Scott Camp. Today's guest was Lane Moore, Director of the Northwest Louisiana Baptist Association of Caddo and Bossier, serving 140 Southern Baptist churches. For more information, you can go to nwlba.org. To get a copy of Dr. Camp's book, A Primer on Power, or to partner with Dr. Camp, you can go to scottcamp.org. Thank you for listening to The Conversation with Dr. Scott Camp. Please tune in again tomorrow morning at 730 for a new conversation.